Welcome everyone to the third webinar in our 2021 series, uh, Onboarding as a Foundation of Medical Excellence, Adapting to the New Normal. So um, I'm Helen Kane, CEO of One MSL, and I am absolutely delighted to be joined by my esteemed panelists. We've got a great group of panelists today, the biggest to date. And I'm going to introduce them very briefly. Um, all of these individuals are united by their passion for both MSL and medical excellence. Their biographies will be available on the One Community website. So um, please do check that out as of tomorrow when we upload the webinar. But uh, in no particular order, I'm just going to welcome Andrew Hewitson, who is EMEA MSL Director at Kiowa Kieran. So welcome, Andrew. We have Phil Carter, International Medical Excellence Director at Vertex. Hello, Phil. Uh, Rainy Marsh, MSL at SOBI here in the UK. Hello, Rainy. Hi. We have Robin joining us all the way from Australia. And Robin England is Medical Lee's, sorry, Medical Excellence Manager, I'm sorry, Robin, and International Medical Excellence Lead at AstraZeneca down in Australasia. We have Hello. Ken Young, who is MSL Excellence and Medical Operations Lead for Growth and Emerging Markets based in Singapore for Takeda. And last but by no means least, we have Kevin Lynch, who's our Learning and Development Lead here at One MSL. So let's start with a poll. Let's get a bit of interactivity going from all of the participants who've joined us. Which of the following best describes your role? We have a mix. Uh, we have a mix of folk from outside of the industry, aspiring MSLs to so welcome. Those who are new to role, welcome. In role, welcome. Managers, medical leaders, and all others joining us. We're really pleased to have you with us. So thank you so much for sharing that with as at the first instance. So just to be clear, this, the, the purpose of this webinar is to really explore the topic of onboarding and what that means to our panelists, but also what it means to those of you who are joining us on the call. And we really do invite you to join in the conversation. Two quick slides from me. Um, onboarding uh, means something different to, to most organizations that we speak with. Um, but you can see on this slide, we have some definitions about onboarding, um, orientation, training, integration. We recognize that many organizations, all organizations will, will look at corporate onboarding. But actually what we're really going to talk about here today is this idea of functional onboarding and role specific onboarding. So thinking about onboarding from the perspective of not only the MSL, but from the wider medical function. This is a subject that's been really close to our heart for quite some time, so much so that we launched our global surveys back in 2019 to assess MSL current reality, their future focus and needs. And these surveys have, we've run two of these surveys now, the last one being in 2020, where we heard from 430 MSLs and MSL leaders and onboarding was a core topic within the survey. So as we move through this morning, we're going to share with you some of the findings of that survey. And if you're interested in seeing the full findings, again, those are available on the One community. But let's start with a question. And this is a question to our panelists. So what do you see as being the risks to not having a robust onboarding process within medical? Robin, can I come to you first? What are your thoughts on that? Thanks, Helen. Um, what are the risks of not doing it? Well, they're, they're pretty big, right? Um, because if you're, if you are not, if you don't have a, uh, a very complete onboarding process, you're at risk of letting people go in out. Um, you're at risk of damaging your company reputation. Um, you're at risk of um, the individual um, not setting them up for success. Um, and, you know, uh, putting them in, in uh, a not a comfortable position. I think that they're, they're probably the, 
I mean, there's obviously a compliance risk, but those would be two of the two of the things that I would say. Yeah. Thank you, Ken. Can I can I ask you from from your perspective, what would you say? What would you add to what Robin's told us? Um, <clears throat> thanks, Helen. Thanks, Robin. I think Robin pretty much covered most of the aspect. Uh, but maybe from an MSL excellence perspective, um, I guess there's two really important things that I like to zoom in with regards to this risk. Um, and I think the first risk is that it really affects the timeliness and the speed of having these MSLs on the field. And some might say that actually without an onboarding program, the MSLs might actually go on field earlier. But the fact is, <clears throat> I think MSL wants to be equipped uh, and want to equip themselves and feel as much comfortable as possible to succeed on the field. So they'll spend more time looking for resources to get up to speed, knowledge, SOPs, KLs, medical plans, etc. And I think this will then uh, have an effect in terms of the execution of TA brand medical strategies. And I think with regards to the continuous collaboration and partnership we might have already have with the external and internal stakeholders, there might be a gap, right? Because then this will be delayed. <clears throat> the, the KLs might be thinking, I've seen these MSLs, uh, I mean, the previous MSL few months back, and now three months later, this new MSL comes in. And that's, that's the gap in terms of the timeliness of the MSLs coming on, on board. Uh, the other thing that I really like what Robin said is that, uh, and I think this is very important risk, is in terms of talent retention. And I see it from two angles. Um, one would be the impression of an MSL on the company if you do not have a good um, onboarding process in place, right? If let's say MSL comes in, no formal onboarding, he or she is handed a bunch of papers by the managers uh, and, the, and the manager asks the MSL to go on the field and be an MSL right away. Right, the MSL might be thinking that this is not the company that uh, I want to develop myself in, and probably the MSL will be looking out six months later. And then the, the opportunity to retain these talents will be lost, right? So I think talent retention is also the other risk that we are looking at. Fantastic. Thank you, Ken. Phil, there's some really good stuff there. Is there anything that you can add to the richness of this conversation? Well, hopefully so, Helen. And uh, thanks so much, Robin and Ken, for, for going ahead and uh, laying a wonderful path. Um, essentially, for me, first and foremost, I think you've got to think about why we do this job. And essentially, that's patient safety. So if we don't have a robust onboarding program, the ultimate sort of risk could be we deliver the wrong information and we deliver that in the, in the wrong way. So it's almost taking a step back and looking at the, at the wider picture. But I think um, onboarding, a good onboarding program, actually sets the standards across the team. It ensures that consistency. So the MSL, for example, in the UK is exactly at the same standard as that one in France or maybe in Australia or in the US as well. So consistency across organisations, especially given the fact we work in, uh, in many different markets as well. I also think um, we should be um, making the MSLs as comfortable as possible. And I think Ken actually highlighted the point about, uh, about retention. And I think that is key because essentially you have one impression, uh, one chance to actually make that impression with people coming into the organisation. So that is, uh, is something we really need to focus on. Um, and also the other side of that is the impression that the MSL can actually have when they go out into the field. So they've only got one opportunity to have that first impression with a, uh, with a KOL. So I think if we get it right with onboarding, we're setting that foundation stone up for a great career. And uh, hopefully that will be a great interaction and communication across the medical community. Fantastic. Wow. Some great stuff coming up. Kevin, I'm going to come to you because you know this is something we're passionate about. Is there anything that you would like to add to, to what's been said so far? I, I think most of it's been covered, and I think I think there's there's risks to the organisation and there's risks to the individual as well, and and I think we need to look at it from both angles. So we, you know we've kind of covered off the risks to the organisation, and and what always astounds me is that we would not consider sending a commercially focused individual into the field without some kind of assessment that they're they're role ready. Um, and, and sometimes that isn't happening within within medical and we focus only on knowledge and not on skills so we can have highly qualified people with lots of knowledge but actually they're not able to to share that knowledge in the way we would want them to now we're talking about medical excellence um, and 
And then if we think about the individual, actually, you know, we've all had first day on a job and we all know no matter what role you've got in the organisation, how nerve wracking that is. So, so we want people to leave onboarding feeling confident and able to do their job. Um, and, you know, we've talked about retention, but it's, it's engagement as well. You want your new starters to, to, to want to do the best job that they can do every single working day. It's, so it's not just the risk of them leaving. It's actually the, the, the risk of them not doing their best work on the days that they are here as well. Fantastic. The next question is, um, so we, we recognise, we, let, let's take it for granted that scientific knowledge is, is foundational to MSL onboarding. So, um, Rainey, let me come to you as, um, as an MSL um, who joined the industry from academia. Can you just give me some initial thoughts on what topics you believe should be included within MSL onboarding. Thanks, Helen. I think there's, like I say, aside from the, the standard um, scientific knowledge and then also company systems and processes, which are obviously a must, and there's quite a lot in there. I think kind of thinking back to my time in my first MSL role, even though I didn't come direct from academia, I went out and got clinical trial experience working with CRO. So I, I thought I understood clinical trials phase one through phase four and preclinical but actually the things that I didn't really understand were the hospital run trials so um, audits and, and registries as well that that was one of the things that caught me out so I think kind of good drug development because not everybody will necessarily understand that pathway and also the NHS structure if you haven't come in from the industry or from the NHS understanding that structure and also reimbursement devolved nations how it's different for different products as well whether you've got shared care or not, or specialist commissioning. So I think those things are quite important to make you feel confident when you go out, having those interactions, actually what the pathway and process is within the accounts that you're working in. Um, and so I think linking into that as well would be having lists of kind of key websites, conferences, patient advocacy groups. Again, it's going back to, um, not wasting time. If, if you're going hunting to find these things or KOL mapping and what, what already exists in the territory, there's no point reinventing the wheel. That information largely is there already. Yes, you may need to personalise it, build on it, but there's always a starting point somewhere, unless you're a brand new company, information's there. So I think sharing that in a structured way that can be built on makes huge value. And just briefly going back to the previous question, I think for me as well, one thing that the end point is still um, retention is actually inclusion. If that onboarding process is not good, the, the MSL or whoever it is, whatever role, doesn't feel included and you start getting imposter syndrome and all those things that come along with not feeling part of your community that then have those impacts that we've talked about. Fantastic, thank you, Rainey. Okay, Andrew, we haven't heard from you. What, what, what are your thoughts on this question? Sure. Um, thanks, Helen. I think um, Rainey made some uh, really good points there. And uh, what, what it perhaps adds to that external um, view, that broader external view to go with the scientific knowledge would be the internal perspective. So um, increasingly, MSLs are a vital part of the delivery of the medical plan um, and therefore a thorough understanding, not just of the strategy and the plan and how it's delivered, but of the wider organization and how it works. And um, I, I, I often reflect that what makes an individual effective in an organization and the difference from the Friday last week where they were at their last organization were highly effective and the Monday this week where they're new and uncomfortable and nervous as Kevin was describing is the people that they know, the, the network that they have. And I think that's something that we can really facilitate in the onboarding process is that networking um, make some friends um, describe it as kiss some frogs you'll find some princes and you'll find some people that you don't like but find out um, who are the people that you want to work with um, and how you're going to work with them 
because those are the things that are going to make you effective. So understand your organization and then get on and meet some of the people in it and then find out how you should work best with them. Thanks, Andrew. So what I'm just going to do, and I'm going to ask Kevin to comment on this in a second. Within this survey, um, the last survey, we asked respondents um, to identify the topics that they believe should be included within their onboarding. And, um, and, and this is what they told us. So this is their reality. And, and this speaks, to, to, I think, to, um, you know, so you've, all, you've all touched on all aspects of this, really. Um, I think, though, that, Rainey, you make some really nice points about, you know, the, the reality of, of the MSL role. So these are the topics that people believe should be included with them in onboarding. And in fact, what you now see in blue was their reality, was really showing the, so 113 of individuals who responded had been enrolled for less than 12 months. So we asked them to reflect on their experience. And uh, Kevin, is there anything that you would add to what's been said so far with respect to the topics? So, so what, I hope people have noticed uh, with the two slides, the results of the survey, is that without fail, every single one relates to knowledge. So it's knowing things. Um, and there's very little there that actually talks about what you do with that knowledge and how you use that knowledge. So there's, there's, there's a complete absence um, of skill that should be included in onboarding. And actually, if we think about the role of of what well, anyone working in in medical affairs now with this this whole drive towards being the third pillar importance uh, to an organization communication is number one so we need to think about what communication skills are necessary for the role and how they're going to be used so yes i'm talking about a scientific engagement model perhaps um for for interactions with um external stakeholders but but you know, Rainey high, highlighted this internal thing, um, uh, as did Andrew. You know, what does cross-functional working look like? How do we um, work with people from the commercial part of the organisation, from access? How do we interact with people that, that aren't um, necessarily clear on what it is that we do? So that's really, really important. And we need to think about the skills that we're asking MSLs to demonstrate now. We're asking for more and more business acumen. That doesn't happen overnight. There needs to be training around that too. And then help to bring all those things together to absolutely support the role of the MSL on a day-to-day -day basis. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, so um, moving on. So uh, interesting question here. Uh, we, we had in our in our sort of in our briefing we had quite a lot of conversation around this so um ken why don't i come to you first uh what are your thoughts on on the content and length of, of onboarding should it be the same do you believe for all new hires what are your thoughts on this ken um to be honest i i really like this question helen because i just recently read a research article on the total MSL onboarding hours across quite a substantial number of respondents from different pharma companies. And the result is that uh, they are very evenly spread from less than 100 hours to, to more than 300 hours. And I think because of that, uh, my, my answer will be not really. <clears throat> I don't think this content and length should be standardized. I, I think there can be a degree of standardization of a core content or minimum length. Um, but in an ideal world, and I acknowledge this is not easy, I believe there's a need to really individualize and tailor uh, the, the content and length of these onboarding programs. And the MSL managers plays a really important role in this. I, I think the new hire should be given as much resources and content uh, or as much time as possible based on their profiles, based on what they need and how they learn. If you think of it, uh, we are having MSLs come into the role with very different backgrounds and experience nowadays, right? We're getting experienced MSLs uh, with 10 years of experience who does not really need a lot of SOP trainings, for example, a lot of time. But at the same time, we have new fresh joiners, right? Who obviously need um, much more contents, understanding of a job, and really need more time to get accustomed to this totally new way of working. 
we're also thinking about uh, the different generation of MSLs. Uh, um, sometimes we have the older generation new hires who prefer the traditional way, more structured, time-bound, longer duration of onboarding. But if you think of it, uh, I'm seeing more and more Gen Y, Gen Z, and I don't even know what generation now, but they're more younger, more digital savvy MSLs who want to learn very differently. They, they prefer more concise information using micro-learning modules. Um, and, and this makes us think that we need to consider different types of contents, right? And these younger generations, they also like uh, to learn on their own pace via self-service platforms uh, and, and standardizing the length of the onboarding process will, will not work for everyone. There are also, of course, other factors like different TAs. Some TAs might need uh, a different type of training because they're engaging with different type of PLs. But bottom line is, I think <clears throat> MSLs are usually being rushed through the initial onboarding so that they can be out in the field sooner with very limited training sometimes. So I think there's a need to ensure that there is a sufficient time allocated as well as a, tail a tailored content. Uh, and this will give individual MSLs uh, you know, their, their flexibility to learn based on their profiles and experience. So I think companies really need to look into agile, flexible, sometimes blended onboarding framework, or managers might need to take this on a case-by-case -case basis rather than just taking all the boxes in the checklist. Fantastic. Gosh, so Robin, I was going to come to you next. What? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, um, Ken's covered. Um, absolutely. Look, I, I totally agree with Ken. You First of all, you individualize it. Um, if you've got a, an MSL that's been an MSL for two years and you're employing them into the role and they know the therapy area, you're not going to provide the same length of time as someone that's coming in brand new from academia. Um, there are some core elements, as Ken said, that everyone has to go. And there's also company culture, uh, an environment that you need to bring people in uh, on board. I think it, it goes back to the original question of setting people up for success and finding that sweet spot where people are ready. Um, I, I'm, I'm very much like Ken. I wouldn't like to rush people out um, into the field um, just because of someone's expectation. We need to make sure that they're ready and um they are fit for purpose. Um, so um, you, you just tailor it. You work with the, the ma their manager um, you, and you identify some key things and, and just tailor it around that. Fantastic. So Rainey, any, anything from your perspective? <clears throat> what do you feel? Uh, Ken and Robin have um, obviously highlighted it brilliantly. And I think, yeah, no, it shouldn't be the same. Um, we do need tailoring, we need core content. And I think what can help with that is having either um, a training matrix or um, excellent scorecards where you kind of, when you start, what, what do you already know? What do you need? What, what are the core that you have to do? And then working out what's from the additional ones. But I think another thing to maybe consider as well is how, again, the definition of onboarding, is it a case of the day you go out in the field, your onboarding has finished. Hmm. Training is continual. Where, where do we go from onboarding to our continual um, personal development, career development? And actually some skills you only learn through doing. So actually there's, what are the core things you need to do to get out in the field? And what do you continue? You can start doing your job because learning your scientific data is great, but you've got to be out there using it to retain it and actually really develop those skill sets. So, it's also how do we maybe lengthen that onboarding process, but get out in the field as well and have this, this actual practical element of, of learning as well, I think is important. Can, can I just ask a question? This is a spontaneous question um, to all of you. So a bit of a left field one. How many of you have probation periods within your organization? Yeah, we do. Yeah, most, most yeah. organizations that I'm yep. aware of have a have a probation period. So, so that sort of is going to lead me to, to my next question. Sorry, um, just before we go on, Helen, hmm? can I just add in, because I think what Rainey said is really important about this, what happens when the formal programme is over. And, and I think we underestimate the need for support when that happens. So actually, you know, how many organisations are using mentors and 
when I talk about mentors, I mean someone who is a colleague who is trained on how to be a mentor, not someone that's gone there. If you need something, ring Ken. He's always able to help you. Actually, kind of a, a, a kind of more formal loosely formal role uh, but also the importance of the manager in that support so uh, the more we talk to managers the less time they have for their teams and you know we were talking earlier about what the pandemic has done it's added more and more things to our roles and responsibilities and as we come out of it are we going to be able to go back to it because one of the most critical things that i think and we're going to come on to this later for a manager to do is support their team. And by support their team, I mean spend time with their team, understanding each individual and looking to continuously develop them. Um, and, and that's the bit for me that I think we're at risk of losing. Really interesting, Kev. So, so yes, yeah, so just coming back to the survey, um, this is what individuals told us um, in, in terms of the survey. And, and I think you made a really great point um both ken and robin about you know the importance of not rushing people you know I've, I've i've had people share with me i had a week you know the expectation was i'd be out in a week they needed me out there that individual had left the organization within less than 12 months so irrespective of the pressure it's really important that we protect our new to role individuals and push back against any internal pressures um, about having uh, people out in the field too quickly. So this is now going to lead us on to uh, another really great point of discussion here. And it's uh, thinking about scientific knowledge review. So you can see on the screen the survey findings. Did you have a knowledge review and completion of onboarding? And interestingly, almost a third of people did not. So coming back to the risks that, that you spoke to uh, with such passion at the beginning of the webinar, um, this, this actually paints for me quite a scary picture really. So, so let's let's start with Andrew. We haven't heard from you through, but Andrew, what are your thoughts on uh, identifying if a new hire is ready to go live in field? Yeah, and I, I think picking up on a, a few of the other comments that um, have just been made, ultimately for me, what you're trying to establish is confidence and competence. And you're trying to do that on behalf of your organization that you are confident that they are going to be competent and represent your organization well when they go out there and introduce themselves on behalf of your organization. But it's exactly the same for the MSL. You want them to feel comfortable to say, I'm, I'm here and I'm ready to um, provide the services of an MSL. Um, and I, I would view this as it's um, to, I think it was Rainey's point, um, but this it's like a driving test. So you want somebody to demonstrate to you that they can um, you know, use the machine safely um, and securely and that they can park it in a, a car park without pranging it. But you also know that a driving test is just that and that one day they'll be on the motorway in the rain or a tractor will pull out on a country lane and so other things will happen. So you, you have to get to a certain point and then say, right, you, you know how to be an MSL. I'm comfortable with your levels of knowledge and skill and governance. And I'm going to release you into the wild. But I'm going to continue to support you because there's lots of learning that you will do um, after um, you've been uh, uh, set going. Fantastic. OK. Phil, are you, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, building on what Andrew's just said, I, I think there should be a defined process. And I think we need to make people aware of this at the start of that journey to actually manage the expectations along the way. Um, I do think that practice is key and learning the information is, is not really enough. So there's a difference in learning the information, the data, and then to, uh, to what Kevin mentioned earlier about being able to have the skills to communicate that information. Essentially, they, they, they are different things and we need to ensure that um, the MSL has got both of these, the communication and also the data knowledge as well. 
Um, I think the um, the role of the mentor is really key in this. So the, the mentor is accompanying this person along this um, this learning journey. They can act as a sounding board. They can present back to the um, to the MSL start. The MSL start can present back to them. So this creates an environment where they can have those skills. They can build on those skills. And also, I think we need more of a um, a safer training environment. You know, simple scenarios, more real world, um, to actually sort of uh, see how they handle various scenarios and questions. Because the uh, the um, clean sort of uh, world of uh, of onboarding, where you're not exposed to a HCP throwing you questions from a left field, is uh, is, uh, is is slightly yeah, slightly different as well. Um, so for me, use as many opportunities um, um, to actually um, have practice environments and uh, and sessions. But then essentially after all the practice, you know, there can only be so much of that. There needs to be a finely defined process. So with a, a scenario or a range of scenarios and a scoring rubric that's agreed across the organization. So it's not just one manager's perception of, well, um, Mr. Smith or Dr. Jones has come on board. Thank you very much. Um, you know, they're good to go. Um, and also I think we need to define who is involved in that process. So their manager should be involved. And I see a core role for MSL excellence in that process as well. So uh, they need to uh, they need to know this, uh, and they need to incorporate this in a uh, in a final sign off uh, presentation um, in front of those um, those members. Fantastic. So so thanks, Phil. Some really good points there, and I, I think yeah, the, the process piece is is very very and a very it's foundational really from our perspective so robin um coming to you what are your thoughts yeah look i think phil's articulated that really nicely i think clear expectations up front um knowing that and there will be an evaluation and you know I think having medical excellence, at, I, I'm involved in every single certification evaluation for consistency. Um, and so we have myself in the MedEx role, the manager and the manager plus one uh, part of the evaluation. Um, and, and that gets stored and saved so that if we're audited, we've got a, a, a consistent framework around that. Um, the other thing um, around practices, I mean, if you're in a large enough company like AstraZeneca, there's lots of MSLs, right? So a new MSL has the opportunity to, to go out in field with other MSLs in their team to, to see firsthand um, what a real life scenario is going to be like. Um, and so we encourage that um, early on um, so that um, b before they, they they complete their certification process. But I think Phil's part about the mentor is also key. We assign a, a buddy for the, um, to, to the MSL, not for the th first three months of their onboarding, but for the first year. Um, because as I think Rainey's articulated, after, you know, once you've, you don't just let them go after three months and say, well, you've, you've finished your onboarding, you're, 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 you're fine now for the rest of your life. There, there needs to be some um, milestones and some points in the, in, the, in, the, in the way that you can work with those people. Yes, it's your manager has a lot to do with that. But if they've got a, a, a buddy, a peer that they can work with over that time, we found that invaluable. Um, and it, it's really good for the actual buddy because they, they build some leadership skills of their own um, in that process. And, and it's, you know, they grow. We, we, just, we just had a question in relating to the mentors. So, so thank you, Edgar, for this. Um, he says, um, I guess a mentor should be involved already at the beginning of the onboarding process. What, what did um, the panelists think about that? Does it have to be at the beginning or could they be introduced at any time? Kevin, I think I'll pick up the ball on that one because I'm really passionate about having mentors involved. Um, for me, it should be right at the beginning, but it doesn't mean to say that that's the only time we have the mentors. So I've seen a huge value in the mentors that I've had um, supporting the new starters in, uh, in my teams. Oh, sorry, the international teams. Um, so for me, um, they need to be there at the start because they're the foundation stone. You know, sometimes the new starter doesn't want to go to their manager because they feel it's a, it's a simple thing or it's going to show some weakness or maybe sort of uh, they're not quite where they feel they should be. 
So I think the mentor is absolutely key. And it's a great opportunity, if you look at it from a mentor's perspective, to show their skills about coaching and training and supporting and developing. So if you have any aspiring uh, MSLs in there that do want to go into leadership roles, this is a wonderful opportunity to do that because they can show their scientific knowledge, but also their man management skills as well. So it's, it's really key. I think I agree with you there, Phil. It is really important. And the other thing is as well, not only having that safe person to go to, but also the mentor just checking in regularly, kind of going, where are you? Kind of, are you struggling with that? Because sometimes there's, if somebody asks you, it's, it's like mental health, isn't it? I'm, I'm fine, but actually somebody asking and just probing that little bit. It was like, well, actually, I don't quite get this bit or I haven't managed to find that. So I think that's really important. And going back, Robin, to your point as well about, shadowing MSLs this is something that I'm quite passionate about and think that we often get those opportunities to shadow an MSL like say when you very first start but my I think this should be something that we do routinely as part of peer-to-peer coaching and a lot of people learn by assimilating information they get from other places so even though we've all within a company and a team learned the same information onboarding when you hear it presented in different ways or questions asked, oh actually that works for me and that's how you develop your own style so I think this is much easier now that we have virtual meetings because obviously when you've got large territories it's time off your territory to move to another MSL's territory but virtual meetings I think are here to stay in some form or another so it's easy to just now tag on to a meeting once a quarter or whatever and have this peer-to-peer learning through shadowing. Brilliant. I couldn't agree more with you Rainey um, and, and it doesn't have to be the same therapy area it's 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 the communication process between the MSL and the healthcare professional that you're witnessing and you're learning from. And, and I agree. I think, um, I mean, we've got several therapy areas that we work in and you can learn from each, each of the different therapy areas. So that best practice sharing is vital um, for, for the company, for all MSLs, because we all learn from each other, right? I'm learning today from, from yourself, from Andrew, from Phil, from Ken, from Helen, from Kevin. So, you know, that's how it works. Yeah, it is. So, so, so there's a question coming um, from from one of our participants around. So, um, who who identifies the mentor? So, is it the company or is it the MSL? So, Phil, what, what I know that you said this is something you're really passionately about. What, what would your response be to that? Well, Helen, it's it's a good question. I think it's it's got to come from two different places. One is got to come from the person that wants to um, undertake that coaching role. So they need to sort of see the way they want to develop and also they want to help others to actually develop. And the other sort of aspect is around the manager. So I have regular uh, meetings with the country medical directors across all uh, of the countries that I cover. So everything outside of North America. And I, I have that um that development conversation with them saying, look, is there anyone in your team that's identified and that they want to progress in this area? And uh, I identify people that way. So it's a two-step process. And then there might be um, the third person, which doesn't really know that they would be a great mentor because they can't see it themselves. So maybe you can have a quiet conversation going, look, I think you've got some great talent, absolutely wonderful talent. And could you support in that process? And suddenly they discover that they're really enjoying it and they're adding a lot of value to, uh, to the process and the new starter. So, um, yeah, there's, there's all these different sources. It's about tapping into them. Yeah, I, you know, the, the whole mentor thing is really interesting. So what I'll share is I recently started to play golf. And uh, so I have, a, I have a lessons with my, with my professional. But really interestingly, what they've done is they've assigned me a mentor in the club so that is the person that I can go to with all those questions around the things that I don't understand. The etiquette, the rules, you know, what should I wear? All of those little things that you, you know, that, that, that you just maybe, so, so, so the mental relationship is so important from a trust. And I think, I think Kevin, you, you raised this early on. It's also about individuals feeling supported and, 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 feeling part of the community and feeling cared for, you know, it's, it's, it's a big job, isn't it? The, the MSL role. So, so this idea of a buddy or a mentor, I think is, is absolutely, uh, again, I'm going to use the word critical. 
um, that that would be our perspective. But Robin, you you raised a really interesting question with me um, in in an email uh, that that we shared just before this webinar, and and the question was this, and and, and maybe it's something for our panel to think about. What, what your views were, when does onboarding really begin? And you, you had quite a strong opinion on this, didn't you? I did, but I would throw the question out um, rather than me say what my opinion is. When, when, when do you think onboarding actually begins? Um, I'll, I'll um, go first, if that's all right. Um, the beginning of the courtship happens when the last person hands their notice in and you put an advert up. Um, so that whole how you present the role externally or internally, how you go through the recruitment, you know, how you treat people, how you assess them, that is already communicating to the candidate the skills and the expectations that you will have, the way that you will behave. They're assessing you as well as you're assessing them. The communications you have after you've offered the job. So um, I, I suspect that that's what we're describing here, but that for me, the onboarding process is um, tightly connected to the whole HR processes that happen in those early stages. And it sh ideally, it should feel seamless to the individual. And uh, I saw an advert, I went for an interview, I got a job, and now I'm delivering at a high standard. It was all one long process. Mm. Absolutely. I think adding to that, Andrew, there's a big difference between um, you having your interview, getting offered the job, and starting the job three months later and going, oh, new company, don't really know what I'm doing, to being offered the job and your new manager checking in with you every few weeks before you start or, or whatever time period or having conversations and engaging you that when you start, you don't feel like it's this completely new company and that it was three months ago remembering, well, who did I meet? What was it? So it's that, that onboarding time before you even join the company really impacts that first day. Um, and, and it is hugely varied what that process, because there is no process for what that looks like. It, it's down to the individual hiring manager, I think, and their skill sets and personalities as to how that happens. Fantastic. So some, some good conversation. So here we go, coming, finishing on this piece about mentor support. So you can see almost everyone believed that onboarding should be supported by a mentor experienced colleague. But the reality was um, again, for a third of those individuals who'd been enrolled for less than 12 months, they didn't have that experience. And I, I really think that for everyone who's um, listening in and participating, um, I think there's been a very strong message shared here by the panel about the absolute value um, of having a mentor or a buddy to support you, right as you say, Rainey, from, you know, you are the point of contact, the hiring point of contact, really making that journey as seamless as possible so that that individual says, you know, this is an organisation that's really got its act together. I can see that there is a path laid out for me that is going to enable me to have that confidence and confidence that Andrew spoke to. Okay, so we're now... Just before we move on, Helen, mm -hmm. we've had another question from, from Sanjit now, who, and, and we can't solve this, um, but do you think companies should have, and I'm going to add in the word designated, MSL coaches and trainers? Oh, Rainey, yes. I can see you've got a point <laughs> of view. Absolutely, and I know we, we touched on this conversation when we had our, our briefing call, Helen, didn't we, that um, absolutely, thinking ahead, MSL excellence, um, this is completely needed because I think one of the challenges is you get a retrofit of we've got commercial trainers who generally have a commercial background, then training the medical team. And sometimes they may never have sat in an MSL call that they're trying to fit what they think the medical team need and the MSL team need. And sometimes by asking you, but again, you don't know what you don't know. So you need somebody who is trained and experienced in that medical side and create the training to fit rather than trying to adapt what already um, exists. So for me, I think, yes, it's important that there are MSL coaches and trainers. I'm Kevin, I'm going to move us on because I think yeah. the next question is, is as a hopefully that, that answered your question. So 
this is a, a big, a big question. And Ken, I'm going to come to you first here. Um, do you want to give me a, a sense of what you believe? So firstly, should managers be MSL managers go through an onboarding process? What are your views on this, Ken? Um, I think simply yes. Um, regardless of how managers have been in the MSL role and have been a company, for example, <clears throat> for quite an amount of time, I think that there is still a lot to learn. And many of these managers are first-time managers who are coming from the MSL role or from another role into a first-time manager role, right? And I think this onboarding process will really, really help them with regards to uh, getting up to speed because now they're dealing uh, not with more of the operative, but more the managing uh, people part of the job. Um, in terms of content, uh, one thing that I just want to highlight first before I pass on is that I think most of the contents that the MSL goes through during their onboarding should also be replicated for the managers so that managers really know exactly what their MSLs are doing and, and really go into the shoes of their MSL. Uh, and in addition to that, I think one of the most fu fundamental uh, topics that should be part of the MSL manager onboarding is really coaching skills. Fantastic. So... Uh... I'm going to come to Andrew. What do you think? What would you add into this mix? Yep. So the, the short answer to the question is all the same principles apply to what we've discussed. You know, the dangers of not onboarding and, and taking your time and getting someone set up for success. Um, and, and also the importance to bespoke the onboarding process to the individual. If, as Ken says, it's a, an, an MSL who's stepping up to lead the team, um, I, that, that was my personal experience, and I wince when I remember my David Brent-like first team meeting where I was um, one of the team who was now leading and trying to be a friend, but also trying to be a leader. And I've had no support outside of that. And I, I think this whole piece around leadership and coaching, um, really, really important aspects um, for us to support um, people with. And I'd just share one anecdote here because I, I think that the other piece to all of this, of course, is what are we going to ask the MSL manager to do? So we've just said, are they going to be the coach? You know, is the coaching owned by somebody else or are they going to be the coach? Are they going to be the sort of the chief MSL who represents them? But my anecdote is a couple of the most effective MSL managers I've worked with were people who came in with previous managerial experience but no MSL experience, so often from the commercial side of the organisation, and at no point were they going to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the MSLs on knowledge. So they dedicated all their skills and energies and efforts to developing the team, representing the team um, internally, and coaching the team with the skills and knowledge that the team already had. And I just think that's an interesting, it's not to say that's the recipe for success, but that um, is something that I think is difficult for an MSL stepping up. Because I think initially you think, well, I need to be the person who knows the most as well as um, leads the team um, with, with all the um, skills and governance aspects as well. I, yeah, it, it's a really, I, I find that a really interesting comment because I, I know that Kevin spoke earlier about um, you know the challenges we all we all know you know everyone is feeling super super stretched but we all know that managers in particular are very often when they're head office based the demands on their their time the internal demands on their time very often doesn't give them enough time to be thinking about the msls that are right in the field and and you know we, we know that that can lead to many many challenges but I think that idea that you are there, if an, if an, orga an organisation has got the scale and the resource to allow what you've described to happen, Andrew, I think that's a really smart solution to the, to the challenge, to the, the question that we're thinking about. Kevin, what, what, what would you say um, around this um, question around manager onboarding? What are your thoughts? So, so I'm really excited that leadership and coaching has already been uh, <laughs> mentioned because I think that's huge. Um, I, I think picking up on Ken's point, you know, often these are first time managers. 
So there'd be a certain amount of, of manager 101, if you like, the, the kind of universal uh, management skills, you know, communicating strategy, um, uh, actually helping people identify how their objectives kind of relate to strategy. So, so that's important. I think sometimes we forget that um, critical information for a manager is process. So actually from an HR perspective, what does the performance management process look like for that organization? Because they are going to be managing performance from day one. They have people reporting to them. And when I'm talking about performance management, I'm talking about it in its, its greatest, most positive sense, not talking about dealing with someone who's, who, who's poorly performing. We need to think about individual development. How does that happen within the organization? Because it's, it's no good waiting for the manager to catch up in six months time because that's six months lost for the MSL who's already been established within the company. So I think we need to prioritize process. And then we need to think about the expectations on them. So I have yet to meet a manager that doesn't need support with time management and prioritization. So, you know, that should be core to everything that we're asking them to do because they are never going to run out of things to do. It's a case of what one do I need to focus on and how do I communicate that up and down? Because a first line manager is never in, a, in, in, in the best position. They are protecting their team and they are um, kind of filtering fr fr from above in the organization to make sure that their team aren't overwhelmed. So it's a huge responsibility that I don't think we should ever underestimate. Robin, is there anything, can I come to you? Is there anything that you would like to add? Um, no, I think, look, um, I think it's first time people manager, there should be a program within organization for them um, to cover off those HR issues, uh, which are critical. You've got to think that um, who do you go to as an employee? You go to your manager and, and they need to be um, the, the single source of truth for you. I think the, the MSL manager or medical uh, lead wears different hats. They wear a coach hat, they wear a mentor, they're a leader, they're a manager, and they need to be able to versatile and flip between those um, but I think you've covered off a lot of things I mean obviously the level of approval needs to be covered uh, coaching is definitely um, for a new manager they have to have uh, be trained in coaching that should be part of their onboarding I think Ken mentioned that straight up um, and I like the point around um, understanding the development where where do you go to develop your people what, what, what is the framework that you work within uh, because um, Kevin's right, from day one, you're managing their performance, but you're also managing their development. Um, and, you know, okay, it's the individual's responsibility for their own development, but you can, you can facilitate that and help them um, and direct them in some respects. Fantastic. So I just want to, to share some, some findings um, from the survey. So this was from... Uh, the managers who responded to the survey. So you can see that they almost all agreed that it was essential, but you can see here that only a third of those individuals received support in making the transition to their manager role. And, and obviously in the interest of time, we haven't, we're not showing all of the findings. And I said previously, you, you can access these on the one MSL community, but, um, a significant number of the individuals who responded to this question had come straight into industry from, from practicing medicine. So they had been employed by medical affairs because of their medical qualification. And the expectation was that they would walk straight into a role where not only were they expected to be experts um, with their medical hat on, but this idea of, of being a manager of people. And, you know, building on the conversation earlier around the uh, importance of MSLs, having a buddy or a mentor, I also believe that managers need mentors. So a neutral manager would, ex would, would significantly benefit from having a more experienced manager as their mentor and their buddy to be that go-to point of contact for those heart sink moments when you think, 
I simply don't know what to do in this situation. So it's, uh, you know, the scale of the organization and the size of your organization will obviously define um, what may or may not be possible, but hopefully this is giving everyone on the line some good food for thought. And, and Ella, just to add to that, they also need a coach. Uh, and often, the further you get up the organisation for a while, the less likely you are to have a coach until you're at the top. And then it's it's kind of uh, a, a matter of course. So second line managers actually need to be prepared to give their managers time to coach them, not to just talk about opera operational issues, not just to tell them what to do next, but to actually coach them. So we're coming into our last few minutes. So I'm going to come to each one of you and Phil, we'll start with you. Um, so reflecting on, on all of the conversation and maybe you've got something unique that you're gonna add into the mix. What would your top tip be for supporting the new hire through their onboarding process? Ellen, there are so many. Um, one thing I would say that onboarding is a team sport, so it just can't fall to one person. So know what you've got at your disposal. So whether that be scientific content or your personnel, define the structure and keep it personal. Think about when you onboarded and obviously the, the uh, fog that you're in when you first started. But the, finally, um, the last thing is protect their time. Don't fill it up with mundane day-to-day -day meetings. Get them to onboard. They've only got one opportunity to actually do that. Wonderful. Rainy. Yeah, thanks. I think that's a, a really good um, point there at the end as well about protecting time. It's, it is so key that you, you have an onboarding programme, but then your diary is filled with meetings. Uh, and I think going to that way to keep it personal is understand the person's learning styles, their, their insights profiles, if, if you've got the opportunity for that, to and really understand how they want to onboard. Some people prefer to have somebody to talk to, to bounce ideas off. Some people prefer to have time to really read and understand um, the data before they're comfortable talking to other people. So you need to work out what works for that person and give them, like, as we've said before, that opportunity to succeed, set them up for success mm. by tailoring not only the content, but the way it's delivered to them as well, so that they've got that opportunity to really onboard well and feel part of the company. Great, Andrew? Um, so I was thinking, when we talk about the people's development, you talk about skills, knowledge, and attitude. And when somebody starts, if you reflect back to when you started an organization, rarely is your attitude better than on your first day at work, your energy, your motivation. Um, and so the, the tip would be harness that, you know, we're talking about building the skills and the knowledge, but harness that good intention, good attitude that someone turns up with um, on day one and, and don't erode it by not being clear, not giving them the support that they need, not giving them this bespoke program. And then the, just one quick other thing, as I, I heard a while ago, and it's something that stuck with me, is we're only ever new in an organization, something like six to eight weeks. After that, we become institutionalized. So use that period of being new to listen to them. Ask them, what, what can you tell us about us? Because it's such a rare opportunity that you get for someone to come in and be fresh and, and tell us what, what um, we don't know ourselves. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. Ken? Um, I think most have been said already, but um, I guess what Andrew said really caught my eye. But I think going back to as well, uh, how do we identify if the MSLs are ready to be on field, right? We talked about the process, we talked about the managers, the, men the mentors as well, but the other equation is really the MSLs. And I think uh, we don't do this enough, but we never really ask the MSLs feedback on his or her own comfort level readiness how was the onboarding experience and areas to improve and fix before they actually go on field? Because most of the time, I think MSLs are pressured by KPIs, expectations that they have to be on field as quickly as possible. Uh, but it might harm them more than doing good uh, when they're not ready themselves. So I think it's important as a top tip that the managers really need to check in and ensure there's a mutual alignment on the readiness uh, with the MSL before the MSL goes on field and not just make a decision from our end. Fantastic. And I'm going to give Robin the final word to you. Anything that you would like to add? Um, 
I think the word for me, I mean, there's two words that come to mind. One is support. Make sure that you've that this, the person, the individual is fully supported by uh, the team around them, the manager, the team, the company, uh, and make sure that there's a sense of belonging. Um, it's very important uh, that we feel a sense of belonging uh, to, to the purpose that we have. Um, and I think if you can create that in your onboarding, it sets you up nicely for your career within the organisation. Fabulous. So amazingly, 61 minutes has passed. And uh, I, I'm really, um, so Jen has put a, a survey into the chat function for all participants. We'd be really, really grateful for it's three quick questions. We'd love to know what you thought about today. Um, it really helps us to improve. Um, and finally, just for me, I want to once again, thank all of the panelists. Um, it's been, I ho hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. It's been a really great discussion. And, and I suspect the discussion will continue. So thanks to all of you. Uh, thanks to all of our participants. Um, for being part of today, sharing the experience. And of course, thanks to our great production team who keep everything going for us in the background. So uh, stay safe, everyone, wherever you are. And we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thank you.